We are continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're specifically looking at the red letters of Christ. And um, last week, we discussed the fact that God is concerned about more than just simply our actions, but the attitudes that can be similar to those actions as we took a look at the beginning of the meat of the Sermon on the Mount. Today is going to be a little challenging because God's going to talk into some of the things that are involved with our words. In fact, um, let's go back to the beginning and just kind of remind ourselves what, what Christ is teaching about today. He said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think I that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he challenged those that were going to be in his kingdom. In verse 20, he says, I tell you the truth, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And so we're talking about what does it mean to have an expanding righteousness in our lives? And what does it mean to be kingdom people? And today we're going to be talking about the fact that that means something about how God views promises. Now, Promises are things that we say sometimes. Um, Nancy and I love to watch Survivor. And it's always interesting, before the votes, there's always these promises made. And, and sometimes they're swearing on the life of their mother's grave, or they're swearing on, on their children's names, or different kinds of things. People always like to make promises and swear by things. God's going to talk a little bit today. Jesus is going to talk a little bit about how God views this. And he's going to use two examples. The first one he's going to use is the marriage covenant. And the second one he's going to use is the idea of oaths. He starts by being just very frank. In chapter 5, verse 31, he says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Remember whenever he says, it always was said, it's not so much that these were biblical words, but these were how they were understanding biblical ideas. And so the idea was that in the Old Testament, if you go back to the Deuteronomy, there was these, these opportunities or these um, permissions given by Moses for certain circumstances where divorce could come. But that started changing. So he says in verse 32, but I say to you, okay, so he's saying, you've heard this said, but now I'm going to tell you what I say, that anyone who divorces his wife, except for on grounds of immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. These are very frank words, and these are very pointed words where basically he's saying that even though on the outside it might look like legally this relationship has been broken and severed, he's saying that on the inside, from God's view, this relationship is the same. In fact, this idea came up later on in chapter 19 where we see him kind of expand this teaching a little bit. In chapter 19, verses 3 through 9, he said, And the Pharisees came to him and tested him by saying, it is, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And this is how Jesus responded. He said, You have, heard, you have not read that he created them from the beginning and made them male and female? 
and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man, let not man separate. They said to him, Why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. You see, we need to understand here that when Moses allowed the idea of divorce, it was a concession, not a command. Remember how they had switched the words? Uh, oftentimes, we have to be so careful. There is this ability to bend the words of Scripture just a little bit. So what was a concession in the words of the Pharisees? They wanted to make it a command. And he said to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Christ was emphasizing the importance of the marriage promise. In other words, he was talking about this whole idea of this miracle that takes place when people are married. They go from being two people to be seen as one flesh. That isn't just the act of sexual intimacy. That's the reality of life. That's the beginning of how that we view that. And as I read this scripture, one of the ideas that I realized that I had taken as a bit of a fallacy is, we, is that we move towards oneness. That's not how God sees it. God sees that as soon as you're married, he sees your oneness in that relationship. Christ was emphasizing the fact that this marital vow mattered, that the words that we said on that day matter. And he was saying that they are not to be taken lightly. In fact, he went on to say that from God's perspective, that unless there is this exception clause of adultery... You are committing adultery when you are in a relationship or you in a second marriage with a person that was that that was out of their first marriage. And you're going, wow, that's that's pretty strong. In the in the writings of Paul, we find out that there's a second exception clause. In the writings of Paul, we find out that the exception is is that you've tried very hard to keep your marriage together, but because of your relationship with God, the other person decides to desert you. And it says in that situation, once again, you haven't broken the promise of marriage and you're released from the oneness of marriage. But Christ is saying here, that marriage is important and that the promise there is important. You know, we live in a society today that is redefining what marriage means. But we constantly go back all the way like Christ did to Genesis chapter 3 and chapter 2 where God explained what marriage was and what that vow meant. So we see that. The second thing we see in this teaching is that he delineated God's perspective. You know, I, I think that it's really hard in all situations to have the God perspective of things instead of looking things through our circumstances. Now, I know this is a hard teaching. In fact, John Stott, when I was reading what he had to say in this area, said, this is one passage that I just prefer to 
kind of not look over because we live in a messy society and and there are there are challenges that even Christian people have faced in this area of their marriages and that. And he says, and not only that, but we have tended to take areas like this and make them more important sins or felony sins. And we forget the brokenness that every single one of us has in our lives. That's why it's important for me to emphasize at this point that although we want to hold very high the vow of marriage and what marriage is, we also realize that everything is redeemable and all can be forgiven. You know, every one of us, I think, has these sins in our lives that we take a look at. And when we look at those sins in our lives, we decide that they are such a big deal that they're the ones that we speak of underneath our breath. There are those parts of each one of our experiences that we're afraid to share because not that we believe that God forgives them, but listen to me. We have found that society lacks the forgiveness that God offers us. And it's really important for you to remember that what God says about forgiveness is more important than what you feel from people around you, even Christian people that sometimes twist these teachings and make the D, the scarlet letter of the Christian experience. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. You see, here's the reality that's so very exciting that I want you to understand today is that even though he is saying, hi, these are the standards, and this is what sin really is, and I think that it's important for us to not lessen what sin is. He's saying that the reality is, is that God wants to forgive sin. So if you're a person today, and you are not sure that God can forgive you, I want to tell you that idea is not from God. The reality is that God does want to forgive us, that nothing that we do is unforgivable and everything can be put under the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ and the punishment that he took there. So I encourage you today to stop buying into that lie and maybe today needs to be the day where you ask Jesus to be your personal savior because you realize today that nothing is unforgivable to God. What a great thought. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But he goes on and he talks about a second area. In verse 33, he starts up again and he says, And again, again, you have heard it said to those long ago, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Okay, now, we don't completely understand this, but when we were kids, we did. When we were kids, we'd make a promise to someone, but we'd, we'd hold our fingers behind our backs. Remember that? We'd cross them. And we would later on, they'd say, you lied to me. Uh, no, I didn't lie. I had my fingers crossed when I said that, so it doesn't matter. You see, there was all of these levels of, of things that they had created these formulas. Oh, we'll get into that in a little bit. But this is what Christ said in response to that. But I say you, to you, do not take an oath either by heaven, for it is the Lord, the throne of, the, of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply, 
yes or no. Nothing more than that comes from evil. Now, once again, if you read further on in Matthew, this idea comes up again, in, and I believe it's chapter 24, 23, and he is talking to the, the, the leaders, the religious leaders of that time, and this is what he says in chapter 23, verse, starting at verse 22, I mean verse 16, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. So see, they have these sneaky little ways of saying, well, I, I swear by the temple. Well, that doesn't mean anything. You have to swear by the gold that's in the temple. It, it's almost like them taking and creating all these lists of fine print saying, oh, no, that's not real. I didn't really mean that. I didn't really say that. And we've had that experience before. Have you gone to a person who plainly said something and say, didn't you say anything? Oh, no, I didn't really say that. I didn't mean that. I was just kidding. What I really meant to say was this. The reality is, is that we have to be careful. He goes on and says, you blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple, that has made the gold sacred? You have heard it said, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. Again, Christ said, you blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears... By the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So, here's the reality. The reality is that Jesus Christ, first of all, is saying, is our attitudes matter. Now he's telling us that our words matter. And he says, promises come from words, and we are supposed to speak them plainly. You see, the first thing that he was concerned about was our emotions and making sure that they were righteous. Now he's saying, I want to talk to you about your words, and I want to make sure that you are a person of integrity. Promises come from words spoken plainly. The second thing that we need to understand, though, is promises reflect the truthful nature of God and therefore should be be reflected in kingdom people. In other words, this is something that's really important that you need to understand. God is truthful. You know, um, some of you have problems with God being your father. And that's because of who your earthly father has been in your life. You've had problems with that relationship with an earthly father. And so when we speak of God being your father, all you can think of is that lens. That way of seeing your father as being very similar. God the father is being very similar to your father. We are called to be examples of what God is like as his people. You see, God is other and he is truthful and he is plain in what he says. Some people try to say, well, sometimes, you know, there's a code and you can't always understand. No, God is plain. Most of what is said in his word is easy to understand, even though it's hard sometimes to accept. 
And we as God's people are called to have integrity. And one of the areas that we're supposed to have great integrity in is in the words that we speak. When I was a younger man, one of my struggles was I like to promise things to people. Oh, I'll get you that to you by Tuesday, I'd say. Or, yeah, you know, I'm going to get that done this week. And I'd come to the end of the week and I'd have this crushing feeling of, oh my goodness, I am such a failure because I promised this this week and I should have never done that. And God began really working on that in my life and he explained something to me. He says, you know, you are not very realistic in some of these promises. You probably can get it done this week. You probably need to think through your words because in your desire to be loved by people, you exaggerate your ability to keep promises. Wow. God wanted me to speak plainly for my yes to be yes and for my no to be no. God is calling each one of us to be very careful and keep an account of what we say because words matter. That's an interesting Jewish idea that sometimes we don't understand. But they elevate the words of the mouth to the same level as the actions of a person. They're seen as the same. Words are actions, not just simply things that we say and we pontificate. We live in a world full of people making promises that they can't really keep, exaggerating the claims of what they really did. We live in a world that tries to make words matter less. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ was saying, your words matter. Your words matter when you make a vow as a, a person in marriage. Your words matter as you interact with other people. And so God is calling us as kingdom people to make sure that our words really matter. But there's a caveat here. The caveat that I have to ask is, are you a kingdom person? You see, to be a kingdom person, you've got to ask Jesus Christ to be your personal savior. And you have to accept his righteousness as the righteousness that God sees before you. That's what he did. Christ took our punishment, and we get to take his righteousness to be right before God. So my question, I asked it earlier, I come back to it again, is do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you asked him to be your personal savior? You know, it's not that these are magical words, but there is a prayer called the sinner's prayer. And in it, it reminds us of the things that we need to say to God to begin that relationship with him. We need to tell him that we're a sinner. We need to ask him to be our savior. We need to believe that Jesus Christ died for us. And hopefully that gives us a heart of gratefulness as we close our conversation with him. If you've not had that kind of a conversation with the Lord, I encourage you to do that. And if you have had that kind of conversation with the Lord today or maybe recently, and you would like some help to grow in your relationship with the Lord, there is a form that you can fill out that's right there in the description, and I encourage you to do that. For the rest of us, for those of us who have a relationship with the Lord, I think that there is a sense that we have to ask the Lord, how am I doing? How am I doing at being a person of integrity, of measuring my words well, of being a truth teller instead of a promise breaker? 
because of the things that I say. You see, expanded righteousness is first of all a heart issue. It treats our attitudes and actions equally and it prioritizes people, acts immediately, and imposes serious restrictions on, on how I think and how I use my emotions. But expanded righteousness is also a mindset. It keeps, it means what is said, it means what it says, and works hard to keep the promises that it speaks. God is calling us to live differently, to live not just like everyone else in our American culture, but to live uniquely in the Jesus culture of the kingdom of God. Will you join me? and living out this litmus test of relationship with him. Let's pray together. Dear God, I, I pray for each person here. I thank you for this opportunity that we've had to study your word. I pray, God, that your word would pierce us. I, I pray for those that are married, that they will take strongly this vow of what it means to be married and understand how you see it. God, for those people who've experienced the brokenness of marriage, I hope that they will experience the forgiveness that you have for them as you take our humanity and our even our poorest choices and you turn them into things that you can redeem. And speaking of redemption, God, I pray for each person that doesn't have a relationship with you today and I pray that today would be the day when they would accept you as their personal Savior. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to walk with a heart that has emotions that please you. But more than that, words, that our words would matter and they would show the integrity of our lives. Thank you for this time that we spent together in your word. Thank you for how plain it is to us. And the fact that you are a truth, you are a truth speaker and you are a promise keeper, and we are so thankful for both of those things. We pray these in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. A couple of things just to remind you that of things going on. First of all, um, we want to spend a little time praying. Um, uh, we got word that Angela Levitt is through all of her treatments and now is just in the process of praying for the restoration of her body. Um, because of the way the radiation and the chemo went, she's down to just drinking broths and she's looking forward to eating solid food. And so we just need to pray that God will restore her body now that she's done with her treatment. And uh, we do the happy dance with her because I, I'm glad that she doesn't have to be any longer in those severe things that went along with that treatment. Um, for those of you who've gone to Nicaragua with us, uh, one of our dear friends, Jeanette, um, has been struggling with the coronavirus and um, really doesn't feel comfortable going to the hospital. Um, she's feeling a little better, but has been struggling with all the breathing and things that go on. And for those of you who know Jeanette, we know that there's been hardship in her life. The loss of her husband, the loss of a young son to cancer. And so we just pray for Jeanette and for others I'm sure that their experience with the coronavirus is not the same as ours at all. We think of Julia and what she's told us, and we pray for that as well. We also need to pray for our community. Um, we have we've hit the first threshold, and we're in phase one, which is wonderful. 
Um, but how do we do this phase and how do we do each coming phase? I'm sure that you've heard the word that um, Iron Man has been postponed. I want you to know that our ministry partners from Georgia and Maryland have already contacted me and said, tell us when the new dates are, we're going to be there, which I just think it just gives me shivers to think of these incredible partners and people that we have that love us and want to help us do ministry here. Uh, if you have friends that need the food pantry, I encourage you to tell them to go because their only struggle right now at the food pantry is that they've had less people than normal. And they have fresh produce and, and good food for people to eat. So if you know people that are living on the edge of, of, of a little bit of food poverty, please encourage them to go to the food pantry on Fridays. Uh, I think that those are a lot of the things that that I want to make sure that we pray about and I wanted to make sure that you were aware of today. So let's just go to the Lord, uh, to the Abba Father, and, and speak these things to him um, as we come closer to closing today. God, I, I'm so glad that you hear our prayers and I'm glad that your word is filled with truthfulness. God, when Jesus described himself in John 14, he said he was the way, but more than that, he said he was truth. God, in this world where we're trying to figure out what the truth is from what's going on with the coronavirus to what our politicians are saying to even what people in our lives mean by what they say, we pray that we would cling to the fact that you are the God that's true. You also told us that you were the resurrection and the life. And we pray for resurrection and res restoration for Angela as she continues her, her healing now from this treatment that she had. God, we know that healing takes time, but we, we pray that you would just make it go quicker. That you would touch her, that she would be just well aware that God has been in, in, taking care of her in the midst of this. We think of Jeanette today, and we love her, and she's been such a great ministry partner as she's led the medical mission that we've done in Nicaragua before, and we pray, God, that you would restore her health. God, I know that the church there has been touched by death because of um, the coronavirus, and I pray that you would bring healing, God, that they would know how to reach out. God, that you would give wisdom to them in the same way. We pray for that same wisdom. God, when you hear the re words reopen, the first thing I think of is, is having people back in church. And yet my greatest prayer is that we'd wisely know how to open what we had to close. And I'm so grateful that we didn't completely close, God, that you gave us the tools like this live stream so that we are connected and that your church is alive and that we are allowed to speak the truth. Yes, we, because of the health crisis, we've been told not to meet, but God, you have not bridled the mouths of your pastors and, and I am grateful for that. So I pray for our community. I pray for them as, as many of the money makers are, are disappearing from the summer. Horse show gone, Iron Man moved, and the list goes on and on. The Sinfonetta, oh, so many different things not happening this summer. And so in the quietness that will be this summer, I pray that we would grow 
in our relationships with each other, that we would grow in, in our relationship with you. What a great God you are. And so we are grateful that you have brought us this far, and we long to be home with you. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.